welcome back to Carmeline Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Uh, today, Francis and I are going to take up a topic, and I might argue, Francis, it is probably uh, the central, most compelling question that we Christians wrestle with in our spiritual journey. Right. It comes and up it over the, and over. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. And so now we've perked the um, you know, ears of our listeners. We'll, we'll share that it is this idea of joy in suffering, not just acceptance, endurance, if you will, of our suffering, not just, embracing, joy, but not just embracing, but <laughs> even more than that. <laughs> Paul says that we should, he, he says that he um, experiences joy in his suffering. And, you know, we Christians really struggle with that idea. Even we Catholics, who, uh, for whom I think this idea is not quite so foreign. Uh, but nonetheless, we as a people who are uh, working to follow our Lord uh, do tend to struggle with how is it that I can experience not just uh, patience and endurance, as I said, but joy in my suffering. That's a compelling question, and it's the one we're going to have a conversation about today, uh, because, uh, quite frankly, we were asked this question, Francis. Somebody wrote into us and said uh, that they were wrestling with this very topic themselves. We're not going to share that person's name, uh, but but I, um, uh, we both drafted a response, and I thought it was... Um, fairly good and responsive to the question, but we thought it would be worth then um, having a conversation in hopes that there may be some others out there who are having similar uh, challenges and understanding how we might experience joy and suffering. So we're going to have that conversation today. And I have an opening prayer from a pamphlet called Joy in Suffering, according to St. Therese of the Child Jesus, and it's by Bishop A.A. A. Noser. And, um, you know, we just recently celebrated the feast day of St. Therese, the little flower, on October 1st. So um, with that fresh on our hearts, uh, I thought this prayer on this topic uh, would help us. So let us um, get recollected and pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear St. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face, I thank the Most Holy Trinity for all the graces lavished upon you and through you upon the world. I have great confidence in your intercession, both because of your power in heaven, since you yourself said that God would refuse you nothing, and because of your goodness and your promise that no one would invoke you without receiving an answer, since you would spend your heaven in doing good upon earth and let fall from heaven a shower of roses. Intercede for us with the loving hearts of Jesus and Mary, that the Holy Spirit may assist us to understand your teaching on joy and suffering, and grant us the gift of fortitude, that fired with the burning love of God and souls, we may eagerly follow you in joyous suffering, and one day share in your glorious triumph. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. I, um, you know, approach this topic with some trepidation. Obviously, uh, a very difficult topic for us to discuss. And I, I um, want to frame this, uh, as we discussed, with what I'll refer to as the two Teresas. Uh, the first, of course, is St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, who had a great deal to say about the cross and, in fact, wrote a book entitled The Science of the Cross, um, which we both studied and I think has profound insights on an understanding of suffering and our being um, conformed to the image of Christ and uh, transformed as human persons into that image uh, through the means of the cross. So I encourage you uh, 
uh, I'm sure you can discern that I'm uh, a big advocate of the book, The Science of the Cross. Uh, but also, uh, uh, the other Teresa that I would um, encourage us to spend some time talking about is now St. Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And, of course, Mother Teresa was recently canonized. We did not do a program on her that I recall, no. Francis, at the time. And so um, and I'm going to suggest that at some point we should. She was not mm -hmm. a Carmelite, but uh, she's certainly somebody worthy of our consideration at this time uh, for both a remarkable life, a remarkable prayer life, a devotion to the Blessed Mother, and so many other reasons. But um, we're going to draw from her today at the end of this conversation uh, as perhaps one of the uh, uh, most profound and uh, compelling witnesses of this idea of joy in the midst of suffering. We'll talk about that when we talk about her towards the end. But I wanted to start the conversation with... Um, this meditation from St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. It's somewhat lengthy. We'll read it in sections and just reflect on it. And it's from a uh, treaty she wrote called Love of the Cross, which she penned in um, celebration of the exaltation of the cross, the ceremony the that you day. mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, the feast day that we did not um, necessarily speak about, but we'll speak about it somewhat today. So from St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross... Um, the love of the cross. Francis, would you read this first section for us? We hear repeatedly that St. John of the Cross desired nothing for himself but to suffer and be despised. We want to know the reason for this love of suffering. Is it merely the loving remembrance of the path of suffering of our Lord on earth, a tender impulse to be humanly close to him by a life resembling his? Well, let's start with that. That's a good question. You know, so many people say, well, so I'm supposed to be joyful in my suffering. I'm supposed to be joyful in bearing the cross. I know Christ did it. I remember that he did it. Um, and I want to be like him. So my impulse uh, is to be humanly close to him in that suffering and resemble him. So it's a decision I'm going to make. I'm going to be joyful. And then we go about um, perhaps uh, doing what we think represents joyfulness within us. Maybe it's, uh, you know, we, we are more patient or we uh, sing or we do something that would invoke uh, the perception on the part of others that we are joyful. There's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a very admirable uh, characteristic. But I'm going to suggest, as Teresa Benedicta of the Cross does, it's not sufficient. Right, there's so much more. <laughs> yeah. What St. Paul talked about when he referred to joy in his suffering was not just an external manifestation. It was something much more than that. And so I'm going to ask if you would continue to read on. All right, these are St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross's words. This is Edith Stein. The sight of the world, and, and I, as I say this, I'm thinking it's true today, on this day, the sight of the world in which we live, the need and misery and an abyss of human malice again and again dampens jubilation over the victory of light. Yeah, so we're taking snippets. If you are familiar with this document or you do look it up, The Love of the Cross from St. Teresa Benedicta, you will note that we are only taking snippets of it. It's too lengthy for us to read the whole thing. And I think and hope we've grabbed the right ones, Francis. But this one tells the story. If all we're doing is sort of an act of will to uh, 
manifest the external presentation of a joyful person, it will very quickly be overcome by the world. And the fact of the matter is, we live in the midst of misery and the abyss, as she says, of human malice. And again and again, this darkens and dampens the victory of light, our attempts at jubilation. It's simply the reality of the circumstances in which we live, and we don't have to go beyond the uh, news pages of the day. I mean, as we sit here in the studio today, it's a day after, um, I think if the reports are accurate, seven people lost their lives in a mall in Houston from a, uh, a shooter and two others were injured. Um, you know, again, we could look three days backwards or three days forward and we'll find another crisis. It's terribly unfortunate, but it is the reality. And our act, uh, willful act at attempting to be joyful in the midst of it is simply not sufficient. Thus, when someone desires to suffer, it is not merely a pious reminder of the suffering of the Lord. Voluntary, expiatory suffering is what truly and really unites one to the Lord intimately. That's voluntary, expiatory suffering. When it arises, it comes from an already existing relationship with Christ. Yeah, so that's the important point, of course, this, this relationship with Christ. But she says, and you reread it, voluntary, expiatory suffering. What does that mean? Uh, is that my fasting? Is that my you know, night vigils? Is that my name your favorite devotion? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. But it is not limited to that. Why? Uh, because she says, when it arises, she uses that term, when it arises, meaning oftentimes the greatest trials we will undergo are those that are imposed on us. We didn't anticipate. We may, in fact, have done everything we could to avoid them, but sometimes they come our way. But if we then accept those, and again, we haven't answered the question yet. We're just laying the groundwork for understanding this concept of joy and suffering. The suffering must be expiatory. It must be accepted voluntarily. And when it arises, meaning even when we ourselves didn't bring it on ourselves, we didn't uh, seek it, uh, we must nonetheless voluntarily accept it. And we also, and very important here, unite it to Christ. Yes, yes. In right. fact, that's the most important line I would emphasize here. And it begins with that relationship. And we continue, only someone whose spiritual eyes have been opened to the supernatural correlations of worldly events can desire suffering in expiation. And this is only possible for people in whom the Spirit of Christ dwells, who as members, limbs of the body of Christ, are given life by the head, receive his power, his meaning, and his direction. So whose spiritual eyes have been opened, this supernatural correlation she talks about, they desire suffering in expiation. We look at the world, its uh, misery, its human malice, and we desire to make amends. We desire to improve it. We desire uh, to have an effect on the elimination of so much misery in our, in our midst and in our world. Uh, we desire to participate in the redemptive work of Christ. These are prerequisites. I'm only suggesting these are the prerequisites to an understanding of how we might experience joy in suffering. And continuing from uh, St. Teresa Benedictine of the Cross, Francis. But because being one with Christ is our sanctity and progressively becoming one with him, our happiness on earth, the love of the cross in no way contradicts being a joyful child of God. Helping Christ carry his cross fills one with a strong and pure joy. And those who may and can do so, the builders of God's kingdom, 
are the most authentic children of God. Yeah, so there's a challenging statement from St. Teresa Benedictia of the Cross, that those of us, and I would like to count myself among them and hope someday I can, who willingly, voluntarily take on the suffering in expiation and nonetheless experience joy in the midst of that are what she refers to as the most authentic children of God. That's a pretty right. powerful be statement. Be who we were made to be in his image and his likeness, right? Yeah. We continue on to quote her. To suffer and to be happy, although suffering, to have one's feet on the earth, to walk on the dirty and rough paths of this earth, and yet to be enthroned with Christ at the Father's right hand, to laugh and cry with the children of this world, and ceaselessly to sing the praises of God with the choirs of angels. This is the life of the Christian until the morning of eternity breaks forth. Well, so that's the last quote we'll use from her. It sort of lays it all out, doesn't it? To suffer and be happy, although suffering. To have your feet on the earth, walk these dirty, rough paths, and yet be enthroned with Christ. That's where the joy, uh, uh, of course, comes from, is this enthronement with Christ. Well, I said we recently had a a writer, a listener to the program, write in, and uh, she um, used this phrase from St. Paul, which I made reference to, where he says, uh, he rejoices in his sufferings. And she asks this question. That was from uh, Colossians one twenty four, by the way. St. Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings. He, I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings is the way it's actually rendered. What exactly do the saints experience in these moments? Does it literally uh, become an interior joy, even in the midst of suffering? That's the question. Um, and I want to suggest a few uh, uh, sort of preliminary responses. The question here is not... Uh, it's true, it's about suffering, uh, but I would contend it's uh, whether we can experience joy in any circumstance. Suffering uh, is probably the most challenging of those circumstances, but uh, we could also ask the question whether I can experience joy in the midst of boredom. Uh, you know, for some of us, just doing our day-to-day tasks, fulfilling our responsibilities for our state in life can lead to great boredom and, frankly, despair. Can I have joy in that? Uh, Conversely, we might wonder if it's possible to have joy in the midst of chaos, those times when we're absolutely overwhelmed by the circumstances of our day. We're not bored, we're overwhelmed. There's too much to do and not enough time to do it. Um, Can we have joy in that? Well, if we can have joy in suffering, we should have joy in both those circumstances, and we're still wrestling with the question, how? The joy, of course, comes from being united to Jesus and resembling and participating in his sufferings, which he valued so greatly. It also comes from consoling the heart of Jesus, suffering in his place in a way, so that he may have a moment's rest. St. Therese, the child Jesus, brought that up. Um, Let him sleep in her boat, and uh, she'll take the watch. It's loving him so deeply. Um, You're overjoyed to please him, to give him some kind of consolation. It's the perspective, the lens of love that fills the suffering with joy. As we both know, St. Teresa of Avila tells us the evil one cannot combine both true joy and suffering. Only God can combine those two. So no, they may might not be the feeling and the sensory sense of joy, but there definitely is an interior joy. Well, so consistent with our listener's question uh, and what St. Paul writes about, I think it's important, Francis, that we explore this idea of interior joy. What is that really all about? Well, let's start by looking at what Scripture has to say. That's always a good place to begin. Yep. Um, And so from John 15, 11, we read, 
These things, and these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So often this verse is misinterpreted, you know, by those who would like to misinterpret it (laughs) and believe that what our Lord uh, was talking about, all of what he was talking about was simply a material joy, a sensory joy, an external... Like prosperity? uh, Yeah, that's one possibility. (laughs) But, but, you know, for more, uh, I think it would just be, well, just take my problems away. Could you just take away my physical problems? Could you just take away my financial... Just take away the bad stuff and then I'll know joy. Well... Uh, I think our Lord would say, no, not so much. Uh, But that's not, of course, what he's talking about. Why do we know it's not what he's talking about? These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Well, we know Christ didn't receive his joy from his material well-being or from the absence of trouble or from the uh, elimination of all the problems and suffering that he had to endure. In fact, he embraced his suffering. So if you want this joy that we're talking about, this interior joy, Christ says, I'll give you my joy. Well, um, it seems that we better figure out what that joy is. The Lord's words were intended to ensure that we would be full of his joy. And he does not put any qualifiers on this. He doesn't say, well, you'll be joyful in suffering, but not chaos or busyness. You'll be joyful in suffering, but not in boredom. No, he doesn't qualify. He says, you will have my joy. So I want to know what that joy is. We have to understand with these words that he spoke, this phrase, he said, these things I have spoken to you. (laughs) Yeah, it's important. What does he mean by these things? It turns out we don't need to look far because they're actually in the verse that preceded that, which is from John fifteen ten. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then just to read the sequence again, reread that and then go ahead right into to fifteen eleven, so we see it all in context. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So the Lord is telling us in this sequence that it's the commandments, that it is abiding in his love, just as he has kept the Father's commandments and abides in his love, that will result in our experiencing the joy, the joy that we will know and be made full in within Christ. It it should be no surprise that the Lord would base the experience of joy in our life on abiding in love. Right. In other words, not by living... Uh, or by living, I'm sorry, in truly experiencing the Lord's love. This is how we will know joy, abiding, in fact, he says, in full joy. It is through this experience of the abiding love. But what about that other part of these two phrases where he began, um, if you keep my commandments? Yeah, because just following the rules seems like a strange way to (laughs) receive real joy. So um, tell us how do we get there. And you're right. Honestly, if that's all there was to it, um, you know, just let's play by the rules, so to speak. How many people have this perception of that's what... Uh, you know, the Christian game is all about. I just, I was told the rules, I'll play by the rules, uh, I'll keep my hands and, you know, my, my nose clean, and, and uh, at the end there'll be this scale, and as long as it weighs in my favor, everything will be fine. And a lot of people, that's how they live this out. <laughs> yeah, and even Catholics, let's be honest with ourselves, Francis, I mean, this is not a teaching of the Catholic Church that there's sort of a scale balancing. It's all grace, it's all mercy, mm-hmm. it's all acceptance of, of what the Lord has to offer in the form of gift. Uh, but nonetheless, we so often live 
live our lives as though we are trying to balance the scales. That will neither lead to our salvation, likely. Uh, it certainly won't lead to joy because it doesn't lead to love. It leads to justice. It looks at the world through the eyes of justice, but it doesn't tend to lead to love. Honestly, it would be um, easy, as I said, if that's all there was. Uh, but Christ makes reference uh, to the commandments in another section, in Matthew, in fact, twenty-two thirty-seven, when he says, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, of course, many of us know the following verse. The second is like it. And these, again, are the words of our Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he concludes with, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And again, that's from Matthew 22, 37, 38, 39, and 40. Um, the point being that the Lord is emphasizing it is the love of God and the love of neighbor that is the fulfillment of the commandments. So back to my earlier question, how do we keep the commandments? What does the Lord tell us? He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His. These things, keeping the commandments, I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Keeping the commandments, he later tells us in Matthew, is simply loving God first, above all, and loving neighbor as ourselves. And on these two things rests all the commandments and the prophets. So, um, the advice seems pretty clear um, as far as love your neighbor. If, you know, if you find yourself a bit bored, well, find somewhere to put love. Um, if you find yourself in the midst of chaos, find someone you can help out who's in more chaos than you because there's always somebody worse off. Um, if you find yourself in the midst of a trial or suffering, find someone in the midst of their own trial and see what you can do to comfort them. Um, as for God, we show our love to him in two ways primarily. First, by loving our neighbor, as, as in that commandment. And secondly, by just communicating with him, um, by trusting him with faith. You know, that's prayer, right? And by letting him know that we love him and that we truly want to abide with him. And that's prayer at its best. It really is. This desire to be with the Lord. That's what he most seeks from us in our prayer. It is certainly our petition. It is our intercession for others. It is uh, seeking his will for our life, seeking to understand what he wants from us. All these are perfectly uh, appropriate uh, uses of prayer, but ultimately prayer is about an encounter. It is about this experience of the Lord. It is about knowing him in an intimate way and expressing a desire uh, to know him, that we, um, you know, uh, genuinely want to come to understand him. He certainly understands us. He understands us uh, from the deepest depths of our soul. He made us, but in prayer, he wants us to want to understand him. That and loving neighbor, as Francis said, the things that we, we mentioned above, uh, finding those in more difficult circumstances than we are and doing what we can uh, to assist them uh, are the two greatest expressions of our love for the Lord. And finally, back to our listener's question, the one where uh, she asked whether this is, in fact, an interior joy. Well, the truth is that it is an interior joy. The love that we're speaking about is not the love we find on the Hallmark Channel and all those wonderful love stories that come out around um, now, as a matter of fact. <laughs> right. I'm sure they'll be with us through Christmas. They're great stories. I, I like love them. them. <laughs> yeah, but they're not real love. And the joy that we're speaking about here is not the kind we experience in the world. Real joy, the joy that can be found in the midst of boredom and chaos and trial and even suffering, is a joy that will last. It's a joy that we 
will only find by abiding in Jesus. And we'll give this quote as just uh, sort of a last statement before we take a, a break here. Again, where do we find joy? First uh, Peter 1.8 says to us, Though you have not seen him, if you do what he asks, is the subtext, he, our Lord, if you, uh, though you have not seen him, if you do what he asks, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's very clear what we're saying here. Where there is no love, put love and you will find love. And of course, anybody who is familiar with Carmelite writings knows those are the words of St. John of the Cross. Well, we're going to take a break here, and uh, when we come back, we're going to pick up on this theme of love as the centerpiece of our experiencing a deep interior joy, and then we're going to talk, uh, as we indicated we would, a little bit more about the life of now St. Teresa of Calcutta. I remind you, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. We'll be right back. Feels like I could kiss your face Wrap my arms around you Worship you in this embrace So glad that I found you And I don't ever want to be a stranger In your house again
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Francis and I today are discussing this whole idea, this most compelling and challenging idea, I would argue, of the Christian um, spiritual journey, and that is the idea of joy and suffering. How do we find joy in the midst of our suffering? And of course, uh, we know that the Lord tells us that when He abides in us, we will experience the fullness of joy, a deep interior joy, not the worldly version of joy. And in order for Him to abide in us, we must do as He did and follow the commandments of His Father. And then He capsizes this, capstones this whole discussion by reminding us that the commandments are found largely in two um, encouraging direction, and that is love God and love of neighbor. And we know that we love God, most especially by intimate encounters with him, which we define as prayer. And we love neighbor by doing for our neighbor that which they most need, even though we may find ourselves in difficult circumstances. And all of this, of course, has been uh, well grounded in Scripture. And of course, we remember that how well we treat our neighbor is an indicator of how well we love God, because we're looking for God in our neighbor. (laughs) Exactly right. That's a very important point, Francis. That is where we find Jesus. You know, he said in the previous section we read from 1 Peter, though you've not seen him. Well, in fact, we have seen him. We find him in our neighbor. He's just hidden, and we have to look a little harder sometimes. (laughs) Well, so there's a woman in our church, a recently canonized saint, who found Christ hidden in perhaps some of the darkest corners of the world. Right. Uh, and we want to take some time not only to uh, reflect on her experience of that, but also to honor St. Teresa, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, and I think in large measure, because for me, she represents in, in perhaps the most significant way this idea of joy and suffering. And we're going to talk about that. Those of you who may be familiar Uh, with the writings of Mother Teresa, her journals now, which revealed her deep interior life, uh, know that she experienced a great deal of pain and separation. A long, Uh, dark night that that St. John the Cross talks about, that kind of dark night. (laughs) Yeah. And and so it's interesting that you reference St. John of the Cross, as we just did, where there's no love, put love and you will find love, was one of the favorite a sayings, actually, of uh, Teresa of, of Calcutta. She had a great admiration, in fact, as we're going to read, for John of the Cross and for his writings. And so we're going to talk about that as well. But I want first, Francis, for you to um, say something about one of your favorite saints as it relates to <laughs> Teresa well, uh, of Calcutta. That's Therese. Um, Mother Teresa, um, she had a great affinity to St. Therese of Lisieux. And I believe there are some books about those two together that are very good. Um, and I've often taught um, how St. Therese desired to be a missionary, um, but the Lord had other plans for her. She didn't actually go out into the missions, the little flower that is. Um, but yet she's the patroness of mission and, uh, and missionaries, um, and that is through her, her letter writing and, and her uh, redemptive suffering. But part of that plan was to allow the spirituality of St. Therese to inspire perhaps one of the greatest missionaries of the 20th century, the one who, in fact, founded the Missionaries of Charity. That would be now St. Teresa of Calcutta. So um, we want to focus on the topic of joy in St. Teresa of Calcutta, a joy that she experienced even in the midst of some of the darkest moments of her life, which we had talked about a, a second ago about this dark night, and which she wrote about in her journals, which were later published into a book entitled 
Come be my light. Yeah, I have to say, I I would encourage anybody who may be going through a dark night, uh, a period of dryness or struggles in your spiritual journey, to pick up a copy of this from Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light. Um, It is a compilation of her journals, well-documented with the dates and so forth, Um, and uh, not so much for the... Uh, the joyful chapters that you may find in there, although there are many, but but in large measure you will recognize um, that you are not alone, that here one of the greatest saints of the 20th century, St. Teresa of Calcutta, um, went through that darkness as well, and in fact a profound darkness. We, we'll talk just briefly about what that meant, but because uh, there were some uh, heads turned when this text came out, and people wondered, well, how could she have presented such a, a joyful presence to the press and so many other forms that she was in, right. when in fact this was her interior experience? There's an explanation for that, a very sound theological explanation, but I, I'd rather we begin with an understanding of the darker side, and uh, perhaps in this single paragraph, Francis. And I'm going to ask you to read. Um, she describes it as well as uh, anywhere else in the book. They, and I quote, They say people in hell suffer eternal pain because of the loss of God. They would go through all that suffering if they had just a little hope of possessing God. In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Jesus, please forgive my blasphemies. I've been told to write everything. That darkness, that surrounds me on all sides. I can't lift my soul to God. No light or inspiration enters my soul. Yeah, and she had, in fact, been ordered to write this by her spiritual director and to be as explicit and forthcoming as she could possibly be. And uh, what a gift to the Church. I mean that seriously. What a gift to the Church her writings are. Yes, because they do describe an experience that so many of us go through. We Carmelites understand this well. Thankfully, St. John of the Cross taught us what this road was going right. to look like. And so many have lived it as well. St. Therese, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila, uh, St. Teresa, Teresa Benedict of the Cross, who we just referenced earlier, dying in a in a uh, Nazi uh, prisoner war camp. Uh, so, so many have, and, and of course, Teresa was, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta was not different in that regard, but also the realization of what an impact her life had and what a blessing she was to so many people. And it helps us get to this idea of interior joy in the midst of it. As I said, uh, we would look at this conversation through the two Teresas. We began with St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, reflecting on the writings of St. John of the Cross, actually. Uh, but it's interesting to note uh, in this statement uh, above from St. Teresa of Calcutta, um, and later where she writes in her journals, the works of St. John of the Cross, she wrote, seem to be books that I am able to understand a little and enjoy sometimes. <laughs> and he's not the easiest one to read. So to, to say that is, is really um, a, quite a statement because by living that darkness and you're reading about it, you know, which is shedding light, uh, you know, it just says a whole, a whole lot. She, and she says she was getting understanding. And there's a couple of things that we should point out here. You know, we live in uh, here 2016, and the writings of St. John of the Cross are easily found in multiple languages. There are, I dare say, hundreds of people who could uh, teach St. John of the Cross very well and explain what's going on in those deep mystical writings. Um, That wasn't necessarily true at the time that St. Teresa of Calcutta would have read this, nor would she have had had access necessarily uh, to the sort of um, elaboration and, and 
explanation of St. John of the Cross's writings that are available to us today in many forms. You know, we go to conferences, yeah. we listen to tapes, we, we have all sorts of resources to help us understand this spiritual journey. At the time that uh, Teresa of Calcutta, living in uh, India, in the midst of this darkness, would have been reading St. John of the Cross, uh, she probably would not have had the benefit of, um, as I say, the sort of elaboration, explanation um, uh, associated with his writings that we have access to. And so... Yeah, more it, than likely, she's reading John's words. Uh, yeah. You know, his original works. And, and and for her to say, I understand what he's saying. In fact, I want to reread that. She says, the works of St. John of the Cross seem to be books that I understand a little and enjoy sometimes. <laughs> um, so, of course, joy, uh, John did talk about the joyful parts as well. He talked yeah, about life. living flame love. of love. Yeah. You know, that's really joyful. <laughs> but I suspect she was well-versed in the darker aspects of it. In fact, later on she says this, uh, she would also write about St. John of the Cross, I am just reading his works. How wonderfully he wrote about God. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> and I think you could put the paraphrase in there, how accurately he wrote about this experience of God. Uh, that's, by the way, from um, Come Be My Light, which we made reference to earlier. That's the title of the book that is the compilation of her journals. That's from page 217. Well, as I said, we did not... Um, really do a program on her canonization, uh, but um, I suspect at some point we will, Francis. She's, she's worthy of our consideration. Uh, but if we did, I think she would absolutely be characterized as the saint of joy in the midst of suffering. Yes. I think that's the model yes. uh, that she is to the church. Now, I, I just want to take up this one last point. Um, uh, you meant, made mention of a book I want to mention as well, uh, one that I'm familiar with, and I apologize, you may remember the author, but it was written about St. Teresa of Calcutta and St. Therese of Lisieux, the correlation of their lives. It was simply titled, I Thirst. Yes. Do you remember this? Yes. It's a wonderful book that draws on the um, experience, as I say, of both these women's lives and the correlation between their lives, not just the missionary aspect that Francis mentioned, that's an important one, uh, but so many other things about their uh, their lives. And by the way, Teresa of Calcutta had a great affection for Teresa of Lisieux. Oh, yes. She had read Story of a Soul. She was very familiar with her in that regard, uh, and she had a great devotion to her. So um, that's it's a, it's a terrific book. Uh, but I just wanted to make reference to this, and I say this only because I only, um, just a few weeks ago, watched this film again. I've seen it many times. It's a wonderful film on the life of uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta. What's the title so, of that film? Called Teresa. Oh, it's okay. actually called Teresa. Um, now, of course, she was not a saint at the time that the film was made, so they don't refer to her as Saint uh, Teresa. But um, somewhere in the midst of it, after the call, which she referred to as a call within a call, you remember that, mm -hmm. um, where the Lord said to her, literally the words that now represent the book we're referencing, come be my light. She's in prayer. She's deep in prayer. And I don't know if this is factual or not, although there are other women around her at the time she's in prayer, so it seems reasonable that they would have heard her say this. She seems to open her eyes and look up at the crucifix, and she says, it is so simple. Hmm. In that moment, you get the sense that from Teresa, she understood all of the gospel and what Jesus was teaching in a very precise way, and it all sort of opened up for her in that moment, and it is exactly, it is exactly what we are talking about today. Joy in the midst of suffering is found by spreading love. Francis read the litany of it earlier. Spreading love in the midst of chaos, boredom, trial that we see in the lives of others, spreading that love and loving God at the same time, that is the centerpiece for the experiencing of interior 
joy. And we're going to elaborate on that in the writings of Teresa here as we go forward. But for her, it was this utterance of that phrase. It is so simple. Give your life away to others and you will know joy. That's as caramel as I can you know, conjure up. Um, that's exactly what Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, expressed. And I want to just read, uh, or Francis, actually invite you to read uh, from some of the excerpts from the mass of canonization from Mother Teresa, because I think they allow us to see, as the Church uh, saw her, um, this very idea of joy in the midst of suffering as an expression of love uh, for um, for others. So again, these are quotes from the canonization mass of St. Teresa of Calcutta. God is pleased by every act of mercy, because in the brother or sister that we assist, we recognize the face of God, which no one can see. Each time we bend down to the needs of our brothers and sisters, we give Jesus something to eat and drink. We clothe, we help, and we visit the Son of God. In a word, we touch the flesh of Christ. Yeah, she was very um, um, compelled by this idea. Right. And in fact, she imbued this very charism in all of the sisters, the missionaries of charity, that by touching these broken, um, you know, sick, dying, uh, dirty oftentimes, individuals that they would encounter on the streets of Calcutta and in so much of the missionary work they did and do to this day across the world, that they were given the opportunity to touch the very flesh of Christ. What a compelling message for us to understand the depth of the interior joy that Mother uh, Teresa experienced. It was by being able to minister to those that she found in her midst uh, and touch the very flesh of Christ. Another quote from the Mass. We are thus called to translate into concrete acts that which we invoke in prayer and profess in faith. There is no alternative to charity. Those who put themselves at the service of others, even when they don't know it, are those who love God. So here we are. We're back to this theme of loving God. And we remember uh, St. Teresa Benedicta's statement that these are the most authentic children. Those who can uh, deal with the misery that they find in the world around them, engage it, and seek to do something about it. And the Mass uh, 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 text says, through acts, through actual acts, which we invoke in prayer. What do we invoke in prayer? The grace and the mercy to do the things that God wants us to do. Because it's all a gift. Exactly right. I mean, we don't have the strength to do this on our own, and it is a point that we'll emphasize as we close today, but to open it up, as Francis has, we should know that, as I said at the very beginning, we can't just sort of put on the face of joy. That's not going to last. It's not real. We can't even uh, bring down upon ourselves through these actions that we're discussing, this experience of interior joy. It can only come through this intimate encounter with Jesus Christ. Yes, touching his flesh, but invoking in prayer the grace that we need to do what it is that we're being asked to do. In Mother Teresa of Calcutta's life, uh, doing so in the most uh, difficult and, and some of the harshest um, um, you know, environments that could be found anywhere in the world, and yet nonetheless experiencing joy. Another quote, following Jesus is a serious task, and at the same time, one filled with joy. It takes a certain daring and courage to recognize the divine master in the poorest of the poor and those who are cast aside, and to give oneself in their service. 
In order to do so, volunteers who, out of love for Jesus, serve the poor and the needy, do not expect any thanks or recompense. Rather, they renounce all this because they have discovered true love. So we're back to that abiding love. And, you know, I want to caution. I don't think Francis and I are suggesting here for a moment that we should all uh, sell our homes, give away our property, and move to Calcutta. Some did. Many did. Some failed at at their attempts to do it as well. We should acknowledge that. Uh, I think what we're learning from this model of joy and suffering, this gift uh, to the church in Mother Teresa, is that we must do this. I, I read a quote from her the other day, actually, that somebody shared with me. We must do this in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. She said, the best person that I can help is the person who's right next to me, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She oh, was right given in front of your call. face. <laughs> yeah. She was given a call within a call. She had to respond to what the Lord had requested of her. All the Lord is asking us to do is to do this in the very circumstances in which we find ourselves. And if he wants to change those circumstances, assuming we've been prayerful enough to acquire the grace. He will do that. But he's saying, do it in the midst of the circumstances in which I've placed you. That's what Mother Teresa would say to us. And I want to reiterate, it's it's through the love that we find the joy. Um, I don't think that you will experience that interior joy without the interior love. Exactly. And, you know, we said before, it's not an act of will. I don't struggle. I think the people who went to Calcutta and failed at their effort to do so were trying to do so as an act of will. Will will not carry you through this. Mm -hmm. Your will conformed to love will carry you through this. And here's another quote from the canonization mass. Mother Teresa loved to say, perhaps I don't speak their language, but I can smile. Let us carry her smile in our hearts and give it to those whom we meet along our journey, especially those who suffer. In this way, we will open up opportunities of joy and hope for our many brothers and sisters who are discouraged and who stand in need of understanding and tenderness. So, again, we cannot generate our own joy. It's not a byproduct of our actions. It is drawn from the source who is Christ, but not an external Christ. We must have Christ dwelling within us. And this love must spring from within us and the circumstances in which we experience it, even if it were total darkness, will not impede this joy. Yeah, and I don't want to leave out one of the more uh, significant uh, characters in Mother Teresa's life, um, who also are part of our experiencing this joy. You know, from her journals, actually, it's page 232. She writes, In our society, we often tell our lady, tell of our lady, she is the cause of our joy because she gave us Jesus. Would that we become the cause of her joy because we give Jesus to others. It's a powerful statement and invokes our lady, which we, of course, as Carmelites, are, are quite comfortable with. I hope most of the church are. Um, this realization of the role that the Blessed Mother plays in bringing us to Jesus, this abiding indwelling of Jesus, and therefore uh, giving us the possibility uh, of experiencing the interior joy. Well, we have another section that I wanted to quote from the book, um, dealing with that important line um, that Jesus said from the cross, I thirst. And this is what Mother Teresa said about it. She said, the biggest and the hardest to bear was this terrible longing for God. 
So more painful than the darkness itself was this thirst for God. She was, in fact, experiencing something of Jesus' thirst on the cross, the same thirst that she had encountered on September 10th, 1946. As the darkness increased, so did her thirst for the one whom it hid, and her thirst to radiate God's love among the, his poor. Her terrible thirst for God was expressed in her burning thirst for souls, especially for the poorest of the poor. She was incarnating the charism she had received. Yeah, and by the way, that's the answer to the earlier question that we raised ourselves, and I suspect is still in the hearts and minds of many people. How could you um, be living you know, the, the Christian life prayer and all the rest of it, um, and having been given a commission by Christ himself, and yet experiencing this darkness, and many people know this, but uh, Mother Teresa literally took on the darkness of the environment in which she lived, and that was the experience of the people she served. Is there any more explicit example of the redemptive work of suffering than that we would take on the very suffering of those we serve? That is the entire message of Mother Teresa's life in Calcutta, um, her, her darkness, but the realization that she touched the flesh of Christ. Yes, there was this sense of separation from God. We know about the purification that God asks of us so often that we might do our work without consolation, without, um, you know, sort of a, a sense of his, of his embracing us and being with us. But that, too, is part of the purification. Not for herself, it's important to remember. It wasn't at this point for Mother Teresa's own uh, sanctification, purification, but it was that she had taken on both the darkness and we might well understand the sins of those that she was serving. And yet, loving in the midst of that, abiding in Christ's love, fulfilling the greatest commandment to love God and love neighbor, left her with a deep interior joy that would not be uh, impeded, as Francis read, uh, by the darkness of this world. In fact, Mother Teresa um, grew, um, found great joy in her poverty. And this is what one of the things that was pointed out in the book. It says, at this point in life, Mother Teresa even drew spiritual joy from in her interior trial. Hers was the joy of having nothing of absolute poverty, of the poverty of the Christ cross to which she had been aspiring from the beginning. Mm. Yeah, and I'm just going to offer that if you um, struggle with that writing, that very uh, deep uh, theological observation about the life of Mother Teresa, it isn't something likely that anybody, either over a radio program or uh, in a book or uh, even in spiritual direction, is going to be able to explain to you. Uh, I think Francis and I would both counsel. It is something you can only experience in prayer, in going through these various stages of spiritual maturity, and in countering in a very intimate way that experience of Christ. For her, for Mother Teresa of Calcutta, it came by um, engaging with the poorest of the poor, the most destitute element of, of society in, in the world that she found herself. And in that, she found um, the flesh of Christ, the abiding and dwelling, and real deep interior joy. We can't describe to you what that experience was like. I can only offer you the example of her life um, and advocate uh, uh, the witness that she provided through her intimacy with the Blessed Mother and her deep, 
deep life of prayer. It is said of Mother Teresa by one of the sisters in her order that she was a living monstrance. I've always used, and I love that phrase. She was Mm -hmm. like a living monstrance. And oh, that that might be said of some of us someday, that we were like a living monstrance, the very body of Christ represented in the world today. That's what was the source of her interior joy. Well, we're coming up to the end of our hour, and I've picked a, a prayer from St. Therese, the little flower. So we have three Teresas in this program, Mother Teresa, Calcutta, Teresa Benedict of the Cross, and Therese, the little flower, because, you know, we just finished her feast day. So this is, again, um, a prayer that is in the book, Joy in Suffering According to St. Therese of the Child Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear St. Therese, ever happy, smiling, and joyous in the midst of pain, in spite of your extreme sensitiveness to suffering, I rejoice with you in the glorious triumph which you have won over self through your tender love of God. Obtain for me the grace to walk in your footsteps, that I may always find a sincere delight in that which gives joy to God, even though it be the very fact of my being utterly deprived of all sensible joy. May that which pleases God always be pleasing to me. Help me to realize that the cross is his most precious gift, the most priceless token of his love. I, too, wish to thank him for all his gifts, even those which seem less beautiful than the ones he bestows on others. Above all, I desire to thank him at all times for the crosses and sufferings he sends me, knowing that one thanks be to God in trials is worth a thousand in things according to our own will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this conversation. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.